Welcome to the Off Lead Podcast, presented by Gun Dog Outpost. My name is Tyler Meaden, and I am your host. On this episode, we have Nick Martin, aka the Iowa Bird Chaser, on. As you can guess, Nick is from the great state of Iowa. His goal is to accomplish the Iowa Pheasant Challenge. Although it's not as much of a challenge as it is a long-term goal of harvesting a wild pheasant in all of Iowa's 99 counties. We discuss where Nick is to date, hunting with Griffin, since that is Nick's personal dog, and what inspired him to accomplish this goal. Now, before we get into the episode, which I think you're really going to like, uh, let's talk about sponsors. First, Gundog Outpost, the little store I created gear to train your gun dog. You'll find slip leads, e-collars, and bumpers there. If you don't see something that you need, shoot me a message and let me know. If you haven't been out there before, I need you to head over to gundogoutpost.com and check out the store today. Next up is Hoist, aka what is keeping me hydrated during this frigid stretch of weather. Hoist is an electrolyte beverage that is essentially IV level hydration in a bottle. It is one of three Department of Defense approved electrolyte beverages. I say this all the time, but if it is good enough to rehydrate our troops, it is good enough for me, the average Joe trainer and hunter, to rehydrate after a day out hunting or on the training field. If you'd like to give Hoist a try, head over to drinkhoist.com and use the code GUNDOGOUTPOST, all caps, one word, to get 10% off your order today. Last, certainly not least, is Dakota 283 Kennels. All of Dakota 283's kennels are one-piece, roto-molded design. That means your dog is going to be safe and secure. If you're like me, my dog is a part of my family. He sleeps on the bed at night, every night with me. He is, you know, he goes everywhere. I run to the grocery store, he's running, he's, he wants to come with. Um, so if your dog is a part of your family, Please don't put him in one of those cheap plastic kennels. Put him in something that's high quality, that's safe, that's long lasting, like a Dakota 283 kennel. If you're ready to take the leap, I need you to head over to dakota283.com, use the code GDO10, and you'll get 10% off your next kennel purchase. You won't regret it. All right, all the intros are out of the way. Let's go ahead and dive into this episode. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tyler. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And as we get started, why don't you give everyone some background on yourself, your name, where you're located, um, your social media handles? Uh, so my name is Nick Martin. I am out of Iowa. I am Iowa Bird Chaser on Instagram and YouTube. I do have a Facebook page. I, I'm going to try to post more on there, but it's just a lot to handle everything, not doing this full time. Uh, lived in Iowa my whole life, and I'm a public lands hunter here in the state, just trying to showcase the state. Excellent. Excellent. And your social media handle, is it Iowa down slash Bird Chaser? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. All right. And then, all right. So you're trying to showcase hunting in the state of Iowa. Uh, you have a dog, obviously, because probably wouldn't be on this podcast if you didn't have a dog. Why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about your dog uh, name, um, breed, uh, age, anything else you want to share? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I have a three-year-old wire hair pointing griffin. She's, of course, a pointing dog. Uh, I trained her myself so far to this point, also with my local NAVDA group and some different friends that have helped me with some different phases that we've gone through. Uh, like I said, she's three years old. She's gone through two hunting seasons so far. So her first one, uh, she was, you know, a little young kind of focus more on the training than getting her out hunting. We did do a little hunting towards the end of that first season, but uh, she just wrapped up her second full season hunting public land. And uh, she's just, she's a ball of energy. I like her. Not as much as the German short hairs, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little later that I've had, um, but definitely has a lot of character and a great family dog, great with kids and just great, great all around house pet too. If you're looking for a dog that's going to be in the house with you, which she lives in the house with us. Excellent. Yeah. My dog is, yeah. As it, when I had my video on, you saw he's camped out behind me now that I let him uh, off a of place. Um, all right. How did you, how did you come to land on the Griffin as the breed that you wanted to own? So kind of fell into it in an odd way. Uh, grew up, dad had a Brittany when I was really, really young. Then he switched to German short hair pointers, had those and, uh, after his last one passed away, he was looking for more of a hyperallergenic dog and was doing some research and came across the Griffins in that breed. And this was, he has a Griffin that's going on five. So this is about four and a half years ago now, roughly. And he got his dog, had it for about a year. I fell in love with his dog, just really liked the um, characteristics of his pet. Like I said, they have some great energy to them, but yet they're not over the top. So I really like that. And then just, of course, they, they look kind of cool too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just overall after hunting with his dog for a year and training it and just seeing how responsive they were and how much they want to please their handler, which I know it's, it's all about training. You want your dog to please you and not be selfish and this and that, but there's a lot of dogs that um, I think can get hard headed at times that you have to work through. And these dogs, in my opinion, from the couple that I've been around or been around quite a few now with friends that have them as well. Um, they just, they work for you and want to please you. Um, so you don't have to work through a lot of that, like them trying to, you know, bump the birds and things of that nature, so to speak. But um, yeah, they're just, I kind of stumbled into it. So then I got one and, and here we are. That's no, that's cool. And that's, um, I mean, it sounds like they're really easy to work with, which like, you know, if someone is out there looking for a bird dog, that's a, that's a really good quality to have. If they, if they are in it to, to help to please you instead of in it for themselves, which dog, I mean, dogs can go through phases with that too. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't know that, that Griffins were uh, hypoallergenic though. So they claim that they are, they're not supposed to shed a lot. Okay. Like anything, if you get online and you get in some of these upland bird groups, you're going to see people that say my griffin sh sheds nonstop. Um, you're going to see others that say mine doesn't. I've seen a wide variety of coats in these dogs, depending on, you know, the male and female that have been bred. Okay. I've seen um, true hundred percent wire hair pointing griffins that almost look like a stocky German short hair pointer. They don't have that fuzzy coat. Okay. all the way to something as fuzzy as I, you know, I, I don't know, Labradoodle maybe I <laughs> trying to think of a dog that's super fuzzy, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting <laughs> just learning about them and not knowing and not knowing a lot about them because there's just not a lot of, um, 
research per se around the griffin as there is like a labrador and a german short hair right. breeds that there's hundreds and thousands of dogs out there of those breeds right right i mean i would say griffin is is a little bit more niche and it's one that i haven't i haven't personally worked and i saw one it, you know like a couple of weeks ago in the the town that i live in someone had one had one out and i was like oh look at that um you know, but I don't, I don't, I don't know very much about them. How do they, how do they compare to the German short hair pointers that your dad had and to the Brittany actually too? So, um, I, I, I just will say one more thing about the, if you're looking to purchase a Griffin, just be careful and do research on your breeder because I did not know this when I had got my Griffin or my dad, but they're becoming, it seems like according to the internet, they're becoming a very popular dog. Prices are going up. Um, pretty high for a dog. A Griffin used to run about 1500 for a pup. Now they're pushing to 2200 roughly. So do your research because obviously, you know, you're not, this is for a puppy, not a trained dog. So you're going to pay a, a decent amount for them. But uh, with them becoming so popular, we're seeing people that are trying to kind of sell some mixed breed dogs and sell them off as 100% wire hair pointers and other people that are just breeding purely for the greed of the money and not, um, not doing it the right way and taking care of the females that are having these litters. They're just cranking puppies out because they see dollar signs, unfortunately, because they are popular right now for whatever reason. But touching base on the Griffin compared to the German short hairs um, in particular is the German short hairs, you know, as a lot of people know that have them, they are high, 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 high energy dogs. They can be out there ranging at 7,500 yards, you know, if they're nice steady dogs that are going to hold for you. And they'll go miles and miles, which is great if you like going all day and hunting a long time. But at the same time, when you have one of those and you got a family, a day job, kids, whatever else going on, I mean, you need an hour just alone, as you probably know, Tyler, just to kind of kick the dust off, so to speak. And then they're warmed up after an hour and you're thinking an hour on a usual dog, you're ready to go back to <laughs> go back in the house and you're good for the rest of the night. Right. Uh -huh, that's well, right. No, they're, they're ready to go after, after that still. So definitely, um, I would say that was the, one of the big differences is the Griffins still have the energy, but you can take them out and kind of wear them out a little faster, so to speak. And then also the other thing is, you know, some people might hate on me a little bit for this, but in my opinion, I think the Griffins are a little softer. And what I mean by that is um, German short hair pointers, if you've ever trained one, they can take um, a lot of reinforcement and correction, so to speak, where the Griffins are just, they're a little lighter touch, they're a little more sensitive. So, you know, when you are training with an e-collar stimulating and things like that, you gotta be a little lighter than maybe you would on a German short hair. Um, and they're not as stubborn in the sense of, um, you know, with the GSPs, I feel like sometimes in that puppy younger stage, you are doing a little more correction work and obedience work than um, I've had to do with my dad and my, my dog that I have seen. Um, but I think part of that just comes down to the energy, energy level. I mean, the, those dogs have a lot of energy. So if you're trying to train them and you haven't taken them for a walk or anything to try to get some of that dust off, like we talked about, it, it's They're going to be pushing back against you a little more, but. Yeah. yeah, those are kind of the big differences. And then the Brittany, I was a little too young. I remember hunting with it. I would walk around with a BB gun with my dad and hunt with the Brittany. But as far as training goes, I was too young um, to kind of recall, you know, as far as how that dog handled the training, if it was soft or, or whatnot in that regards. But uh, it was it was an overall pretty good dog. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. Before we dive into the meat, meat of the show here, 
Uh, how old were you when you were walking around with a BB gun in the field with your dad? Like, so I, I don't know a hundred percent. If I had to guess five or six, I got pictures of me about five, six years old holding pheasants up. And of course they got the long tails on them. So I'm at, at that age, I'm still just a little tyke. So they're about <laughs> as long as me, it feels like, but, um, dad would, I would walk around with dad and his friends and watch the dogs work, of course. And then once they got a bird and the bird was dead, I'd, I'd get to shoot it once with a BB gun, top it off, so to speak. They made me feel special as a way for them to share the experience with me that of course they instilled with me for the rest of my life, which little did they know at that time, um, that I would be a lifelong hunter, but, uh, it was, it was little things like that, that keeping me and making me feel included, uh, that really, I think helped, um, grow my passion for the sport. No, absolutely. I think that's, you know, that's where it starts, right? I mean, you, you, you get it passed down to you. I mean, I, I remember, I remember the first pheasant that I shot, right. And that was, it was at a game farm and I was 10 years old. You couldn't legally hunt in Wisconsin until you were 12 at the time. Okay. Had to go. And then, you know, I, I, I remember, I remember the bird going up, pulling my gun up. I don't know if my eyes were open or closed and shooting and the thing dropped. And, you know, that was, that's like a very, it's really ingrained in my mind and it yeah. really, you know, helped fuel my passion for, for upland hunting. So and my first was at a game farm as well. And I, and I think, I think sometimes game farms can get a bad rap but there's definitely a time and place for them in teaching a young hunter and getting a young hunter excited and into pheasant hunting. A game farm is an absolutely good place, safe place. I shouldn't say good. It's a great, fabulous place for them to get into it, experience it in a safe, controlled environment. Cause we all know when you get out in public land hunt, these birds are flush and wild. It gets crazy and you're making split second decisions with a 12 gauge in your hand. That's about to go off potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a great place to learn. I helped my nephew get his first bird two years ago over my pup on a game farm. And it's, it's just an incredible experience out there when you're in that controlled environment and can prepare for the moment that's about to happen. Absolutely. And I, you know, I have like my, my experience is much different than yours based on where I'm located. And I, I used, I, I'm at game farms all the time. I do a little bit of guiding. Um, there's not, there are no wild birds where I'm at in Southeastern Wisconsin, unfortunately, and um, there's public land and the public land is all um, birds that the, the, the DNR releases, which is great. They're all pen. I mean, so okay. it's basically you're, you're hunting on a, a public land game farm, essentially is what it is. And that's fine. I grew up in southwestern Wisconsin where there are pockets of um, wild pheasants, or there used to be anyway, um, which was that pheasant that I had mounted over my shoulder where, where I was able to harvest him. Um, and I absolutely 100% agree with you. They're a great way to get people introduced to upland hunting because you're guaranteed a little bit of action. And if for someone that's never experienced a pheasant going up right in front of them, it is it gets the blood pumping, and it is just like wow. It can it can hook you, like just like that. And then, yeah. and then you start to want to do more and do more. And you happen to be located in Iowa where there's a really nice population of wild birds. And then you start to chase birds on public land. And then you come up with an amazing goal, right? Which is, and you, which is going back to what you said originally, which is wanting to showcase the state, right? So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop talking. I'll let you talk about what your goal is um, and how you came up with it. 
So the goal is to harvest a rooster in each of Iowa's 99 counties. So, of course, the state of Iowa has 99 different counties. And believe it or not, Tyler, I came up with this goal last year because I was getting a little sick of hunting the same few counties that I pretty much have growing up around the Cedar Rapids, Iowa area, which is where I'm from and still currently reside in Cedar Rapids. And uh, to Metropolitan, I can't talk, it's a town of 150,000 <laughs> people, roughly. So our hunting ground around us gets quite a bit of pressure. Uh, and so I was itching to get out, experience something a little beyond, you know, kind of my neighborhood, so to speak. And then, of course, having a dog that's still relatively young, I just wanted to experience um, just some different travels and adventures with her on the road. When she was one and my dad's dog was two, we went to South Dakota, both the first time that we were out in South Dakota. And I think that trip probably is really what sold me on the idea of like, man, I love to travel in general, but gosh, to travel the pheasant hunt, that's, I, I don't know. I should just do more of that. I, it's just like <laughs> something I guess I never really thought about. Um, and so I came up with this idea. I want to kill a rooster in each of Iowa's 99 counties. Well, at Pheasant Fest last year uh, up in Minneapolis, I got talking to some people from Iowa and was kind of telling them my story and that I'm, I'm going to start working on this goal and come to the realization that there are people that have tried to do this years ago. There are people that are still trying to do this now. Uh, but I guess from what I've seen and around the internet and the people I've talked to is nobody's really tried to capture so to speak and I'm like you know like what a great goal to have what a great way to get yourself out to travel and experience the Iowa and see what Iowa has but at the same time you know when it's all said and done are you just going to look back and have these experiences in your mind or you know is there any way you can document it just beyond a couple pictures um, so just got me into this idea of like you know what I'm just going to do this try to document it and and that was kind of it didn't really plan on doing a YouTube and Instagram, anything like that. When I was up there, I got talking to um, Anthony of Fetching Feathers, if you're familiar with him at all and his brand. Mm -hmm. And I was just telling him a little bit about it. We were just mingling and he was like, well, you know, what, what are you going to do to to highlight it or share your story with people? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Nothing like this. I'm going to do this. Like we're, I'm at a bar with someone having a beer and be like, Hey, guess what? You know, I've killed these pheasants and I'm working on this goal. And he's like, no, like people are going to want to hear about this and, and, you know, see your journey and your experience. He's like, obviously there's going to be a County that you're going to work on for a long time and miss birds or, you know, it's going to be hard to find birds because this is going to be over, you know, a few seasons. So we're going to be battling many things amongst bird populations that are up and down in different counties. Mm -hmm. He's like, you need, you need to document this and kind of put this out there for the world to see. And uh, I went back to the hotel room and kind of talked to the wife about it. And was just like, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm going to do this regardless, but I was like, I guess I'm going to, I should create an Instagram page at a minimum. I already had a, my own personal Instagram. Sure. Um, but I, I just, we were sitting there that night in the hotel room and I was just like, Iowa bird chaser, you know, like I'm in Iowa, I'm chasing birds. It's pretty much what I've done my whole life. I did, haven't done a much deer hunting until recently. Um, so I created the handle while we were up there in Minneapolis in this hotel room at Pheasants Fest and created, created the account and just started posting throughout this, this first season and kind of the rest is history in regards to, I think the last thing I said before we got cut off was 
just how many people have reached out and just one maybe maybe shared that I've inspired them to do something as far as set a goal for themselves. Uh, wanting to share information with me is where I can go hunt, which I appreciate that. I don't take much of that information. Basically, a lot of people will say, when you get into my county, reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I will probably take some of those people up. It'd be great to meet people. This is not all about me. It's about showcasing my state and just different public hunters. But at the same time, the experience of the challenge of me and my dog scouting, finding the land and finding that public bird myself is, is part of the challenge and the experience that I want. Uh, so I, th- I think we'll have a mixed bag because I got 99 counties. I can't do that for all 99 counties. <laughs> no, um, no. You... It would take me 99 years at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Uh, so that's just, it's just been, it's just been really interesting because I, you know, I'm, I'm just a normal guy, you know, like I said, yep. I'm not trying to do this for a living or anything. It's just for fun, like yourself in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's just kind of naturally taken off and uh, it's been, it's been great. Good. And so, okay, we're going to get to scouting here in just a second, but I got to, I got to ask you about your strategy because there's 99 counties, obviously to get to every area of the state, it's going to be to get to all corners of it. Even if you're centrally located, it's probably going to be a couple of hours away minimum. So is your strategy to start locally and hunt the counties around you or go further away and hunt the counties that are furthest away and work your way in? So this last season, I spent probably half the season focusing right around um, myself. And a lot of that just dealt with what work um, I'm self-employed. So it just kind of what my schedule allowed and uh, work was a little busier at that time. Then we got into December, things slowed down. um, And at that point, it allowed me to travel a little more. With this being my first season, of course, it made it a little easier in regards to where you're going to go. Well, I did some scouting this summer, so I had a good idea of some places out west I wanted to try. But at the same time, um, you know, I'm a very just get up off the cuff type person. And all of a sudden, if I realize, hey, I'm going to be off for two days, I'll just get up in the truck and just head west or south or something. Because I'm in such of the beginning phases of this project, I don't really have to worry right now in regards to, oh, have I been to that county or not yet? Because no, I've never gone south or whatever. Sure. Um, so th- it's this year, that was kind of how things have gone. Next year, I think I'll be traveling a little more. Uh, I learned a lot this year on kind of how I like to, to do things. It seemed like three-day blocks were really nice, especially in the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of pressure on those public grounds, which I know a lot of people say it, but it's just, it's hard for guys to take a lot of time off during the week. So usually I feel like guys will take that Thursday, Friday, make it a long weekend or Monday, Tuesday, and leave on Saturday to kind of extend their hunting time. But you're still dealing with that weekend hunting pressure, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of been the strategy this year, at least. Yeah, no, that make I think that it makes sense, right? Especially your first year, we were kind of figuring things out, like you said. So from a, from a scouting perspective, like how are you, how are you scouting going forward? Are you, are you onyxing it? Are you, is there, does the Iowa DNR have resources? Like what's, what's your strategy with that? So the Iowa DNR has a great website uh, and that will show all the public land. And then also Iowa has a IHAP program. So that's our version of a walk-in hunter access program. It stands for Iowa hunter access program. And those lands are open, I think, September 1st to January 10th, which is basically hunting season mm-hmm. for most um, critters and creatures. And so that's a great 
program that we have. So I use the DNR website. Onyx Maps is a huge, huge, huge tool for me. I'm in Onyx a lot of the times. And then Google Maps, believe it or not, uh, I do a lot of scouting through Google Maps. It's nothing against Onyx. I love Onyx. Um, like I said, great resource when I'm driving around. That's usually what I have out if I'm, you know, if I see a brown public hunting sign, which that's usually the color they are in Iowa or green. Um, pulling that up quick, seeing what it is, what kind of access it is, how big it is, what kind of terrain it has, et cetera. But uh, I like Google Maps a little bit more for my virtual scouting just because uh, I think that they have better satellite images. Mm -hmm. Nothing against Onyx, but Google's what a multi billion dollar company. They they probably have a little nicer satellites up there. Sure. I, don't, I don't know how all that works. I'm not a tech guy, but um, I guess that's how I envision it. But Onyx does have a new 3D model um, or piece to their app that I'm excited to dig into a little bit this off season when I'm doing some more scouting, because I believe that's going to keep me in the Onyx app a little more and away from that Google. That's supposed to really um, add another layer and help uh, you, you do virtual scouting a lot yeah. more on that. Yeah, I saw that a little bit during deer season in Wisconsin when I was waiting for um, Bambi's dad to show up and um, I was playing around <laughs> with it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of this is kind of cool. Um, but I mean, you can you don't worry, this this podcast is not sponsored by Onyx. So you can say whatever you want. about. No, it. and I <laughs> and I will be honest with anybody because I don't have any sponsors. I, and yeah, I'm not trying to please anybody by any means, but that's just my honest. I think that they, it's a great app. I know there's other ones out there that have. Um, come onto the market to kind of rival them that tie in weather and stuff more, sure. which yeah. I know Onyx does some weather parts too, but I will say just some extra features that I use a lot for Onyx tool is they have a line tool, which I, maybe it's not, I feel like it's maybe underutilized. I feel like I don't hear a lot of hunters talk about it, but basically you can draw a line anywhere on any map and it'll tell you how far that is. So if you want to know like how far a chunk of timber is for deer hunting from a parking lot, put that line down from the parking lot to that timber and it'll say 1.2 miles or whatever. Yeah. Um, so then you got a good idea of, okay, I need some extra water or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I know about that. I don't think I've actually utilized it because I'm hunting like a really small piece of private land deer hunting wise. Yeah. And so it's like, Oh, well, and then it's like, like, you know where you're going. You're like, yeah. 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 But, and then like, you know, the, the public land spots that I've hunted hunted pheasants at, it's like, well, I, I know the piece. I just want to see how far I'm actually going to walk here. So I yeah, just get turn, turn on the tracking piece. <laughs> on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> just see, see what I can cover. Um, okay. All right. So I, I like, I, you know, it makes sense what you're doing scouting wise. Um, it makes sense what you're doing strategy wise. Uh, I will is, say one thing, Tyler, if I can, just on yeah, the, go ahead. Uh, and somebody comment, send me a message on Instagram, something, but one, one other piece, why I use Google maps uh, so much is once I've scouted on Onyx and in person, I'll put a pin on Google maps also. So then when I'm out hunting and I have limited time to hunt and what I mean by limited time is I got my eight hours or six hours or, you know, whatever it is, take out drive time of actual hunting. Um, if I pull into a parking lot and there's some guys there, I want to know where that next closest spot is as quick as possible. And if I pull up my Google maps quick and just click on a pre-made pin I put in, boom, I got GPS to that next spot and I'm, and I'm just move, move, move. And that also helps me, of course, trying to do these 99 counties. Once I hit a county, the minute I get that bird, we're heading to the truck and taken off to the county next door, which I've already scouted a little bit. So that's another reason I use Google Maps is just for the GPS part. Yeah, I'll make that's that's so smart. I mean, it's 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 so smart to, to do that. Um, it makes makes a ton of sense to me. That's exactly how I would do it. 
if I had to start now, since you told me your tips. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a great tip. I hope a lot of people like that and use it because it's, it's just been so helpful for me. You, You can spend so much time sitting there looking at a map, but in, and even if I've only in a lot of these places, I've only, especially out West, I've only virtually scouted by the time I've gotten there. Mm-hmm. So it's even more critical for me to have them in my maps and know right where I'm going, because if I pull up and that place looks like junk or it has a bunch of snow and doesn't have that cover I'm looking for, we're moving on to the next spot. I'm not going to waste time on that, on that spot. Um, and some people might say that's foolish or still, it still could hold birds, but um, you know, everybody has their own hunting style. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You got to make the most of your time and you know, you have a, you have a long-term goal and that's, um, which speaking of that, so there's 99 counties. Is, is there public land in all 99 counties? So there's public land in all 99 counties. I've talked to the head DNR guy. Um, he thinks my goal is ambitious. He likes it, but he did say, <laughs> you know, there are some counties that may be questionable as far as, um, pheasants on public ground got it pheasants on private ground definitely we do have those in all 99 counties uh it's just a matter of the public ground i do know there are some people that are doing this challenge as well let's call it or goal um i don't really like to call it a challenge because for me it's not a race it's just about my experience and showcasing what the state has and sharing that with people we can get into that a little bit later if you like but it's it um it just I don't know. I lost my train of thought, to be honest. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. No. So, so on, on that, on that though. Okay. You don't want to call it a challenge. I was going to ask you, you know, so there's, there's like the, the Turkey grand slam, there's the North American waterfall slam. What would you, what would you name this, this endeavor? That's what right? I was going to say is, is some people that are going after this goal are harvesting an upland bird in each County instead of a pheasant because okay, we have the question of, is there a pheasant in every county? That's where I was going with that whole thing. Um, what would I call this? I, I have no idea. Crazy. <laughs> no. um, I don't, I don't know. Just like the I Iowa slam, the Iowa pheasant slam. It's I, I would say it's beyond a slam because I would say like the Iowa slam would be like a rough grouse, Hungarian partridge, quail, bobwhite quail. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Uh, and I mean, Rough grouse in that four is going to be the near impossible one, but they're, they're here. Uh, let's, what if it was, what if it's like the Iowa pheasant marathon or ultra marathon? Cause that's, that's probably more applicable. I, I, sometimes I feel like the word showcase can be so cheesy and maybe I overuse it, but it's almost like the Iowa pheasant showcase or something like, um, yeah. Or it, yeah. Like marathon. I'm trying to think of something like journey. long, yeah. Long term because it's like, it's like those, that rat race show where the people race around the United or the country, you know, with a little yep. bit of money, yep. it's kind of like that. And in a sense, you know, <laughs> you're out there on fumes, just trying to get, just trying to get a bird. Like you're in a, you're in a County that doesn't have public land with roosters. You're like begging, you know, a farmer, can you just do something? Which the goal is to harvest one on public land in every County. But ultimately, you know, when we get up into the nineties, eighties, and, and we're getting into the, some of those tougher counties. We're going to do every everything we can to stay on public, but if it's just not physically possible, yep. we may have to share a story of a local farmer that gained access, you know, that we gained access to or something like that. But sure. hopefully not. We'll sure. see where the where the story goes. But yeah, the goal is to keep everything public. No, no, it makes it makes sense to me. So, um, how I, you mentioned, you know, certain counties may not have pheasants in you know on public land. How are bird numbers overall in the state of Iowa though? Um, 
you know, right now, I think like all of us and all of our respective states, I think we all worry when we get into these frigid temperatures. And in my community, we have at least 16 inches of snow right now. So you worry about food and things of that nature. But these creatures are very smart, very adaptable. And that's why they're still around. So, you know, last year, our bird numbers were phenomenal. Two years ago, a little late, you guys missed it. But 2019, I've been told was one of the top years, 2018, 2019, were some of the top years for Bob White quail hunting in Iowa. Really? Um, Hungarian partridge are starting to come back a little bit, and there there are small pockets of rough grouse. Um, if if you know some locals that are that are, are nice to you, you buy them a nice rum and coke a few times. Uh, they kind of look. They might share that with you. So I'm slowly working my working my way into maybe some rough grouse here in Iowa. Um, that if, if I get one, I don't care how ratty that thing looks, it's getting taxidermy. Um, <laughs> heck, yeah, heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. Uh, so, no, it's good. Go I, no, I'll go ahead. That, um, go ahead. Sorry. No, you, that's all I had. Okay. All right. Um, where am I going? <laughs> I'm all over the board. Okay. So we're not, we're not quite sure what we want to name it. Um, how, how far along are you? Like where, how many counties have you checked off the list? So I have nine counties checked off the list. Um, wish I could say I was at 15, should be at 15. If I could shoot straight this year. <laughs> you're, you're talking to someone who shoots with both eyes closed is what it, well, that's what it seems like at times, but uh, so I, I understand. I hear you, Tyler. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So nine. So at this rate, you've got another like 10 years, but I imagine you're going to pick up the pace. Yeah. Next year, I anticipate, you know, probably getting hopefully uh, at least a good 15 is going to be the goal. The goal this year was 10, so just fell short by one. Um, but yeah, hopefully next year I can get into a little more. A lot of this season, I was hunting with a Remington 870 with a full, with a 30 inch barrel, 30 inch long, and a full choke. Mm -hmm. So I'm hunting with a pointing dog, keep in mind. So these birds are flushing relatively close as I'm coming in and kicking them up and I'm trying to blast them with the full choke. So it's not ideal. It wasn't ideal. And ammo has been hard to find around here, which I'm sure it has been for many people. So I'm shooting a number four shot, 30 inch barrel full choke. So needless to say, when I look back at a lot of my footage, I was just shooting way too early. I was shooting behind the birds. Um, and so later on in the season, I ended up hunting with my dad's Franke Affinity 3 and really liked that. So I ended up going out and buying one and I finished the season with um, that Franke got it. and got three birds with that. So got that one broke in a little bit. No, that's I, I, I'm, I'm in search of a new gun um, right now for various reasons that shall not be told. Um, but I, I mean, I picked the worst time to be shopping for a gun because there's just so hard to find oh i got so lucky i called shields down in iowa city and just asked them if they had it and i wanted synthetic stock because it was cheaper right yep. and they're like yeah we got one in stock wood and i'm like well what's the price and it was the same price as synthetic i said well i'll be there in a half hour can you hold it and they're like no no we can't because <laughs> guns are going that fast. like we're it's crazy it's uh, nuts and this was after january you know after the new year so it wasn't like Christmas. I guess maybe people were spending Christmas money, but uh, yeah, I ran down there and picked it up. Luckily, it was still there. But <laughs> nice, nice. No, no, that, I'm surprised it survived the Christmas season. Actually, um, hmm. okay. 
All right. I want to go, I want to go back to this though, too, because you don't, you haven't, you know, you don't really want to call it a challenge. We're, we're, we'll figure out a name for this eventually, probably after we stop recording. Um, what, you know, you, you go back to showcasing the state. What, I guess, what is the ultimate goal? Expand on that a little bit more. I want to, I'm, I'm just, I, I want to delve into that. I'm just curious, like what's, what is at the heart of this? You know, that's a, that's a great question, Tyler. You know, ultimately what this boils down to and what started this whole thing is I, I don't want to say what started this whole thing, but what this has turned into for me when, you know, now you have this platform, right? People want to hear from you. People want to say why you're doing this. Well, obviously I have a passion for pheasant hunting and the main goal is just to expand one challenge myself as a hunter. Cause when you get out of your territory and you're getting into places you've never been, you're virtual scouting, you're, you're one, you're going to learn about yourself, your tenacity and whatnot. You're going to learn about your dog and you're going to learn about just different habitat in general and what birds do and how they use them in different territories which ultimately is going to make you a better hunter in all facets turkey hunting deer hunting because you're just going to see things and understand the land better but on top of that i mentioned when i was hunting growing up with my family there was a lot of land that we could hunt and we hunted a lot of private ground a lot of old farmers guys uh let you walk their drainage ditches a lot of grass around the edges of their fields things like that well early 2000s crop prices go through the roof and pretty much across our state Farmers started tiling everything, drainage tiling everything. So all those waterways and everything pretty much were wiped out. Fence rows were taken away and everything was tilled up, you know, county road to county road. Uh, and a lot of that was just due to, like I said, crop prices going up. We have very fertile soil in Iowa and Iowa is a very highly um, privately owned state. I think we're like 94, 95% privately owned land. So even though there's a lot of public land access and hunting opportunities, um, it, it's still heavily privately owned. So ultimately habitat and things like that, when you're 94% um, are at the mercy of the landowners. And when these landowners took all, a lot of these drainage ways, uh, tilled them up and things like that, it's a lot of land. When you look at the Mississippi river to the Missouri river, coast to coast of the state, that's a lot of habitat that we lost. I and mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of acres. And then you see the bird numbers fall to an all time low. I think it was in 2009, 2010. Um, and I mean, they were, they were just abysmal And we have slowly seen a retract on some of this land, some farmers leaving a little more set aside, bringing some of these waterways back, um, and not, um, cropping them, farming them, but it's, it's been a slow process. I think that they learned, I think farmers have learned that there's an advantage to having some of those things around, um, not only just to help with. Uh, the land and soil erosions and things like that but um, just overall longevity of, of the state and everything I think I think we're just getting on more of a same page with private landowners in regards to um, a win-win philosophy on how we can have habitat but at the same time they can be productive and make a living because we all understand at the end of the day this country's um, you know farmers feed us and without them we can't do anything and even our fuel a lot of the ethanol and stuff we need farmers for it so mm -hmm. thank god for the farmers but you know we just we need to find this happy balance so for me to, to single-handedly grow up and see hundreds of birds all the time to see basically nothing it was just decimating and we got to do something about it and finally we're moving the needle in the right direction so slowly back in the 60s or 70s uh, not a lot of people know this but Iowa rivaled South Dakota for pheasant numbers. So, I mean, we were harvesting over a million birds here in Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, South Dakota was about, you know, a million plus. And Iowa was the Mecca for pheasant hunting. And then um, that slowly just kind of dwindled away with 
you know, being such a big ag state and of course, South Dakota, you know, really, I think took the ball on that when we kind of, kind of were starting to phase out. I think they just took it and ran being kind of the king of, king of pheasant hunting. And they do a great job at using that for tourism and being a great way to show off their state. Cause it is an awesome place. Like I said, I've been there to pheasant hunt and it's, it's beautiful. Um, from Aberdeen all the way over to Pierre, it's it's just neat the diversity and change just across that whole eastern side of the state. It's pretty incredible just in a two three hour drive on on how much diversity there is. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the biggest thing is just seeing seeing how it's wanting to show people, hey, Iowa used to have it. We were we will never be South Dakota. I'm not trying to say that, but come back to Iowa, give it a second chance. Um, I think we're a great destination that people overlook. And for a lot of people, especially coming from the East Coast, for the most part, you got to drive through us to get to South Dakota. So, you know, take a take a stop and uh, see what we have to offer because it's definitely worth it. I like it. You you didn't have to sell me, but you sold me. Um, and we're gonna <laughs> well, when we stop recording, I'm gonna pick your brain a little bit because I'm planning to make a trip to Iowa. Um, hopefully this year. My dog is. In- yeah, it'd be great. Come on down. Yeah, my dog is in his prime, so I, I, I need to take some opportunities while I can to, to get out and, and hunt wild birds. And you know, I, I, I was in Iowa in the early 2000s, um, pheasant hunting public land. We took some trips when I was in high school. And, um, you know, I have very fond memories of hiking many miles on public land and sometimes not seeing any birds and sometimes closing the, you know, the the door a little too loud on the vehicle and you know 100 birds pop up like you know 100 yards away yeah and you know fly (laughs) and it's like okay all right we're gonna walk a little further now whoops um so i have i have really fond memories that i think um you know i i was a great state like i want to i obviously i want to go to south dakota right i want to go to north dakota too and do like a combo i want to like get up in the morning and go waterfall hunting and then go in the afternoon and go offland hunting but iowa is awesome yeah, it'd be great. Iowa is a the destination for me because I can do it. I could do it in a weekend. Like it doesn't have oh, to, yeah. I don't have to I don't have to take a week off where I'm located. I can take and drive, you know, three and a half hours and be three and a half hours, I think I can be where I'm where I'm initially thinking, which I want to pick your brain about later too. Um, you know, to set up shop and then be able to, you know, basically drive an hour radius and then pick up the spots and, and go and, and figure it out. So it's on my list. Um Anybody else well, out de- there? Is- Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, and depending on what time you come of the year, because pheasant uh, season starts October, October 31st here in Iowa, but depending on what time you come, you can also hit some of the trout streams we have in Northeast Iowa. If you're, if you're into trout fishing at all, and that's, that's you Tyler and anybody else, we have a great Iowa DNR um, trout program. And there are some phenomenal, phenomenal streams for fly fishing and regular rod fishing here for trout. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I, uh, yes, the answer is yes. I love trout fishing. Um, we won't, we won't get into that, into that here. I do want to pivot though, since we're talking about public land hunting here and just for a minute or two, um, for those that have not done a lot of public land hunting or a lot of public land or a lot of upland hunting on public land, what are the unwritten rules? What are, what are the rules? What are like the things that, that, you know, people should be, should be thinking about when you go out there? Like if there's other trucks there or other hunters, like what's common courtesy, that type of thing. Yeah. So, uh, of course I'm going to give you my opinion. 
Um, probably not going to sit well with some. We'll sit fine with others. Um, but I'm, I'll throw a few things at you. So I think we all own the public lands. We all have access to the public lands. I think that no matter whether you're a hunter or not a hunter, you should be able to go out and enjoy our public lands. With that being said, I think that if you are going to do so, I would highly encourage that you become educated. What I mean by that is know what the hunting seasons are. Does that mean you can't go out there during the hunting season? No, absolutely not. That does not mean that. You can go out there if you choose to. But a couple things. One, if you see a car in a parking lot and you're out there to just walk your labradoodle for just a leisurely stroll, I would suggest it's probably not the kindest thing to get out and take your dog for a walk that day in that particular field, even if that's where you always go. And that's the only one you know, or that's the only one that has a mowed path for you. It is public land. A lot of these are not maintained. It's not going to have a nice path for you. Well, people like to go out there because, you know, they can let their dog off a leash or this or that. I, I understand that, but just be, just be conscious of it. Um, you know, especially those hunters that are buying hunting license and things like that, that are trying to provide and give back to keep public land access available. Um, you know, maybe think about that a little bit, go out and buy a hunting license, even if you're not going to hunt at a minimum, this is going to grind some people's gears. At a minimum, one thing you could do if you are just a leisurely person that likes to enjoy public land, even if you're a bird watcher, I have to pay to shoot birds with a gun. If you shoot birds with a camera, I believe you should have to buy a federal duck stamp to support the land. That's just my personal opinion. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and, and even if you don't shoot them with the camera, you know, if you enjoy these public lands, do something to be a part of it. You know, pick up some trash while you're out there. Maybe go buy a $25 duck stamp. You know how many meals you buy at Wendy's or whatever that are 20 some bucks, just a little something to try to maybe give back. You know, of course we would like you to do a little more. Um, but at a minimum, I think those are some things to take advantage of. Now, as far as courtesy goes, if you're a new hunter and you're getting into hunting, in my opinion, you know, depending on how big the section of land is, I'm not a big um, person. If I, if I see a truck there, I'm going to keep on driving to the next spot. Even if the next spot is a half hour away, 40 minutes away, I have been there. I have driven 40 minutes, one direction, pulled up, seen Indiana plates, out-of-state hunters. Guess what? They were there before me, especially those guys. They drove a long way to get here. I'm going to respect their time and their space and their money that they've invested to get this far and let them have that field and hunt that field. I don't care if it's 200 acres and I can come in the backside and walk with my dog for a half hour and, you know, it's not really going to affect them or maybe I'll push some birds their way. Dude, they have a lot of money and taking time off work, gas spent, hotel spent, whatever, training on dogs, let them be out there and enjoy that field themselves. There's plenty, plenty, plenty of opportunity. Um, and at the same time, if you're going to be that person that's upset that you drove 40 minutes and somebody's there, don't hunt that area. Go to a place where there's four or five different public places within a you know, 20, 25 minute radius, which most places I've ever hunted in Iowa, there's, they're in pockets, it seems like. The DNR, it seems like, you know, buys land that's close to other land and eventually with the goal to try to conjoin some of it if they can ever get some of these middle parcels um, to just make it into a bigger piece obviously the bigger sections they can have together the more you know fruitful and produceful pr productive they think that it is but those are kind of my my things if you are if you do make the decision to to start walking into a place because there is just one truck there maybe you see some footprints in the snow and those footprints go off to the right and you say well i'm going to go to the left at a minimum if you get back into those woods and you see, or that grass whatever and you see another hunter it's probably in your best interest to turn around and kind of just head back out i mean out of respect for them they were there first 
Um, but that that's just how I was how I was raised personally. I know everybody's a little different. I watch a lot of people on YouTube and they'll pull right in with two other trucks there and get their two, three dogs out, barking, making a bunch of noise, slamming the doors, and right on in behind you. Happened to me on opening day this year. Actually, it's all happened this year to me. Opening day, people walking in. I've had the lady come walk her, you know, labradoodles out in the middle of hunting. And then she came across me and scurried as fast as she could to get her dogs on a leash because I think she was worried I was going to hunt them or shoot them like they're deer. And I'm thinking <laughs> most responsible hunters, one, aren't going to shoot your dog, ma'am. But two, um, you know, just just be vigilant of other people that are out there. And just one one thing, if, if regardless of you're hunting or not, if you're out there walking on public land and it's, you know, September to January, please, please, please wear some sort of orange, whether it's an orange oh. neck gator, an orange hat, you know, don't go out there in your city clothes or whatever, because a lot of that stuff, it seems like is brown and black. And before you know it, we can be sneaking right up behind you and bam, you're, I'm right there with you and your dog. And yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, I see that, you know. I see that in Wisconsin, like where, where I deer hunt at, like during gun season, there's, there's some public land, some really nice places to like hike. And most people I see have like some bright color on, uh, but this year I was, you know, I was heading out for like an afternoon hunt and I saw somebody hiking up this hill wearing like all black. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, let's pay attention here. Do you not see the orange armies like out in yeah. full force? I mean, I just, but, <laughs> but anyway, no, I think there's, I think there's a lot of good stuff there. And like, I, I think Nick, I think I really appreciate that. You're like, so courteous. You like go and you don't go the extra step. You almost go an extra 10 steps to like not interfere with someone else's hunt. And that's, you know, and that just comes from, I've been the guy that's been in that field and had someone else walk in on me. And I know that feeling and it just, it sucks, especially mm -hmm. doing something, what I'm trying to do. Sometimes I may have a limited time. It's the last couple hours of the day. I'm on my way home from a three-day trip i'm bipping into a new county for the last time and it's like i just have two hours i'm just trying to get this goal done done um and someone else comes in and might you know ruin that experience or whatever and yeah. it's just I, yeah i've just been on the other side of it too many times that I, I just i will not do that to anyone else yeah no I, and i i commend you for um i commend you for that because it, it takes it takes a lot to do that and to to stick to those standards and stick to those values so um, kudos to you. Thank you. All right. So in the interest of time and given the technical difficulties here, um, I want to, I want to go into what I call <laughs> rapid fire. So I'm going to, uh, throw out a bunch of questions and just first thing that comes to your mind, um, you know, go ahead and shout out, shout out the answer. And then uh, we'll sort of wrap things up here. So I know you mentioned that you switched firearms mid season. Um, are you going to keep your Franke for, you know, keep using the Franke for the foreseeable future? Or are you going to look at another firearm, like a dream firearm of choice? I think for now I'll stick with the Franke. Okay. Okay. Um, what is, so obviously pheasants are your favorite species to be chasing. What, what's, what's second, what's second on the list? Turkeys. Definitely. Okay. All right. And I didn't expect close, but Turkey, I, uh, man turk spring turkey hunt when they're gobbling and you're calling back to them i mean that you want to talk about getting your heart going deer hunting gets my heart going but turkey hunting when they're 20 yards from you and they gobble and you you feel that in your chest and you hear their chest like rattling oh there's nothing like it Tyler. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no i i 
I've heard that from so many people who are just avid upland hunters or avid deer hunters that like, oh yeah, turkey. I'm like, turkey, really? But um, they all and everyone says the exact same thing. There is nothing like when they're when they're close and they're drumming and strutting and spitting. And I'm like, incredible. I'm, I need to I need to experience that. All right. Um, what is your post hunting beverage of choice? Uh, any sort of IPA, all day IPA, Hop Slam, Bell's Two Hearted. We got a local brew, um, which which slap by Clock Tower Brewing. It's pretty good. Okay, I've been IPA guy. All right, um, all right. I do Coors Light too. I'm not a snob. Oh no, no, that's that's fine. <laughs> I, I don't I don't judge. Whatever people want to, you know, whatever people want to drink is fine with me. My household is a Bush Latte household, so. Well, I was gonna say the state of Iowa. I mean, that's that's the drink of choice, the old Bush Latte. Bush Latte. I think it's it's Wisconsin favors that as well. Um, all right. Uh, 2021 plans. Obviously you're going to be chasing birds in as many counties as possible. Any other big 2021 plans? Uh, we'll, we'll get a spring turkey hunting in and then we'll really start gearing up in the spring and summer. We'll be doing some training work, of course, just kind of keep, keep taking the next step on things and then uh, right back into pheasant season. So nothing, nothing too crazy. And of course, we'll kind of see, of course, with the pandemic pandemic and everything we love to travel but just depending on what stuff is open and how much we can travel yep will dictate some of the summer plans absolutely absolutely all right um so obviously you're hunting public land you're putting miles on um what boot are you rocking to keep your feet uh, currently wearing a pair of irish setters uh i don't know the which is surprising because i'm kind of a gear junkie so usually i know like all the technical terms but it's it's a pair of irish setters um and they're a camo it's like a half camo half leather and i do know that it is a model that's like very regularly advertised in like pheasants forever magazines and stuff it's one of their upland popular boots that's fair that's fair do you uh do you ever or do you own like a pair of like high quality rubber boots as well yeah, muck boots are my go-to. I've tried bogs, but uh, I love the muck. Okay, all right. Uh, what about gum leaf? Uh, would love to try a pair. Need a second job to afford them. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's no, I fair. saw um, Nick Larson. He's a he's part of Project Upland on Instagram. Yep. He had a nice um, discount code the other day. I think it was twenty five percent off. And I was actually looking into that a little bit. I, it it was because I think they're about two two twenty five for a pair um oh, that's why i think that's that's one of their mid their mid-tier ones i think the the high the best of the best is maybe double that or yeah they're 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 really nice people that i know that have them i do not own them um i nearly bought a pair a couple of years ago but everybody that has them is just loves them other high-end stuff but i will say i for the most part have never regretted my purchase and they are usually what you get what you pay for i'm a big believer in that okay all right um so you're a gear junkie so then i'm gonna ask some more gear related questions uh first up the uh like i've had the same pair of like brush pants like upland hunting pants since i was like 16 um what what are you rocking like what are you what are you using is it is it older is it some of the newer like cutting edge type stuff so it's may- maybe a little curveball maybe there's some other hunters rocking these um but i wear mainly the like hiking pant but it has the like brush thick 
thicker cover like chat part that you'd like expect on the front okay but then the back is almost like a uh it's a real stretchy like material gosh I'm, i it's not spandex like yoga pants but it's stretchy like that it has yep. some give to it which is great when you're stepping over fences and you know lifting your legs and doing all the movement i've had those for at least five seasons and they are filled with patches and stitches and they got all sorts of character I'll keep rocking those for as long as I can. And then when I need to get into a little heavier duty or stuff, if the snow's really, really thick or it's super cold, I go with the Filson double tin uh, hunting pant. Okay. Okay. Uh, what, what was the, what was the uh, first one you mentioned? Like my audio, like cut out right when you said the name of it. Uh, the Patagonia field pant. Ah, okay. Patagonia. No, that's, it makes sense. Which like, is not a hunt known to be obviously be a hunting brand. No, but Patagonia makes really nice stuff. The warmest piece of clothing that I own is like a Patagonia wool like pullover that I bought for hiking purposes. And um, when I'm deer hunting and it's like below 25 degrees, like I pull that thing out because it it's just it's another. It's a whole nother animal compared to all my other hunting gear that I have. Um, so that makes sense. I'm going to, I'm going to check those out. Um, okay. And so a lot of their stuff is super, super functional. I know right yeah. now in society, it seems like everybody wants to wear Patagonia cause that's, what's cool. Yep. Yep. And it's, it, they're, they just make, they make really, really high quality stuff, which is why I like it. All right. Um, what about your vest? What, I mean, there's, there's all these like newer cutting age vests that are out there. Are you rocking, are you rocking one of them or do you have like the old school? I am. Okay. All right. So I, uh, I rock the hunt ready. Okay. I tried that at Pheasant Fest last year up in Minneapolis. Really loved the fit. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just been great. It's super uh, universal. So you can get the hunt ready vest, just a basic vest. And then it has the, molly webbing on it which is all new to me because i don't have any sort of military or law enforcement background so um it's got the molly panel on the back and on the hip belt so you can put any sort of attachments you want on it they make pre-made vests that have different attachments already on it and then of course they sell various attachments on the hunt ready website but any um system or pack that that utilizes the molly webbing um velcro you can put on this pack. So I've seen on Instagram, a lot of different people that have, you know, incorporated pieces of the chief upland on the hunt ready and vice versa. Um, and, and then take stuff that's not even from the hunting world, more from the law enforcement world, different packs and things like that and utilizing it on the vest, which is pretty neat. So sure. it's really universal, which I like about it. I keep it pretty basic, but it's a, it's a nice feature. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see like my, you know, my feed is blown up with ads from, from those companies. So um, I see it all the time there. So I figured, I know I had to ask. And I um, just want to just for them, they've been super responsive as far as, you know, any feedback or anything that I've needed. Um, anytime you reach out to those guys, I mean, within an hour or so they're getting back in touch with you. Not that I've needed much, but, uh, they, they follow along on my story on Instagram. So once yeah. in a while they'll have some questions on how the vest is doing or this or that. So I'll give them some feedback and, um, it's, they're just, they're, they're great. They're great. And, I've ordered a few things from them. 
they always have a handwritten note or card. You know, you get a vest, they write you a hand card, handwritten note if you just pick up a t-shirt or something. I mean, just little extra touches, great customer service over there. And no, and like I said, I'm not sponsored by anybody, so this is no shout out to them. I just I just think, you know, give credit where credit's due and people are doing a good job and doing things the right way in this day and age. 100%. 100%. I think I've, I've chatted with them a little bit and um, uh, they... I think they know what they're doing. I think they're they think they're good guys, and I think they've I think they've got a quality product. All right, uh, last question for you, Nick, and that is, um, can you, as soon as we hang up, drop me drop me a couple of pins so I so I know where to go here. Um, that's all. That's all I want. The only re- no, it's not the only reason I had you on the podcast was so you could drop me some pins. But um, uh, <laughs> I uh, I really I really want to pick your brain about that. So. Um, I don't really have any other questions. I don't have any other questions for, I just, we'll, we'll talk more offline so we don't give away anything. Um, I do want to thank you though, for, for hopping on, um, battling through the multitude of technical difficulties that we've, we've gone through here. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I've learned a whole lot, um, from you about Iowa, about, about why you're doing this. Um, just about you as a person, I think, um, um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, keep following along and keep up with your journey and, at some point, I'm probably going to have you back on and we'll, we'll do catch up and see where you're at. Uh, before we hang, before we end things tonight, though, why don't you give your social media handles one last time for anybody who's made it this far? Yeah. So if you still made it this far, thank you so much for uh, listening to us babble on about uh, Upland hunting, of course, which we're all passionate about if you're still here to this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, once again, I'm Nick, the Iowa bird chaser. You can find me online at Iowa underscore bird chaser on Instagram. And then if you just Facebook search Iowa bird chaser or just YouTube search Iowa bird chaser, all separate words on YouTube and Facebook, um, my pages will come up right there. So we pull, we're in the middle of posting our weekly vlogs right now. So I waited till the season was over to kind of share some of that stuff with uh, all of us hunters as we go through our season close depression. Uh, I figured maybe that would help some of us relive our golden days in the field of months prior. So uh, I, I have several, several weeks of, you know, probably five, six weeks at least yet of more videos to come out on there. They're nothing fancy, not a lot of edits. It's just um, showing my journey, the ups and downs through hunting. Um, so I appreciate you having me on here, Tyler. I really appreciate it appreciate everybody listening and following along and yeah give me a follow on instagram if this seems interesting to you and you want to see what we're doing yeah absolutely i would highly recommend the follow um i have not checked out your youtube videos so uh, my couple for that but i'll i will um change that here very shortly um thanks again nick for uh taking the time and we'll talk again very soon That's it for this week's episode. If you found value in the content or enjoyed the conversation, I have a few favors to ask. First, hit that subscribe button. Second, share this podcast with another gun dog owner. Those two things uh, would mean the world to me and they hopefully won't take you more than 30 seconds. Last thing is if you have another 30 seconds, go ahead and leave a review. Your feedback is important and it's what drives this podcast uh, so that I can make changes and improve it going forward.